Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the TGC Canada Worship God podcast. We are really glad to be back with you again today. We are in the fall months. Leaves are starting to fall off the trees here in Ontario. And uh, with me in a place where the leaves don't ever fall off is Pat Sabell in uh -huh. the warm, cozy <laughs> hamlet of Vancouver. Are you in Midtown or Uptown, Pat, today? What town I mean, are you in? I'm in Midtown. <laughs> Midtown Church is 12 degrees, right? It's chilly. Okay. Well, Rob, uh, you and I are both in Ontario. We may actually have Pat beaten today with the 12 degrees. What do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're up. <laughs> well, uh, Rob Brockman, worship pastor at Living Hope Church in Georgetown and Pat Sabell, worship pastor of soon-to-be-launched or almost-launching Midtown Church. Congratulations in Vancouver. Uh, good to have you guys. I'm Jody Cross. I am lead pastor of South Shore Bible Church in Barrie, Ontario, home of the 14-degree fall weather. And uh, we are excited to be back again at um, just a brand new topic. We're talking today about worship songs and what a gift, you know, worship songs are. In a sense, uh, this is the, the bread and butter of, of worship leaders. It's not all we use, but it's a lot of what we use in terms of our, our musical, uh, I guess, our musical cupboard of the gifts that God has given us. And um, I want to start with a, a quote by T. David Gordon, who said, Song is the divinely instituted divinely commanded and divinely regulated means of responding to God's great works of creation, preservation, and deliverance. Worship song is both the remarkable privilege and the solemn duty of the redeemed. Mm. And we want to just, as we begin, uh, coming off of Thanksgiving weekend, I just acknowledge that God has been good to the church by giving us songs old and new, and songs that haven't been written yet, songs that are timeless, songs that are timely, and songs that God will birth in the days ahead as people keep writing and experiencing His grace and His Word and by His Spirit. So today our topic is, how do we know what a good worship song is? What, what are criteria that we can use as planners, as worship leaders, as worship directors to help people to have the kind of songs that are going to grow their faith, exalt Jesus, and to uh, really move them forward in spiritual maturity. So, well, before we get into the, I think, six or, or so categories that we have identified as the three of us, um, guys, let me just ask you the question, how, how do we not choose a song? Like, what are some, some wrong reasons for choosing worship songs? And, you know, maybe we've done that ourselves. Go ahead. Oh, I'm thinking about uh, just recently, uh, someone came and, and said, this is my absolute favorite hymn. Could we do it? Um, why don't we do it? And can we do it? Um, and uh, it probably was one of the hymns that I typically probably wouldn't do. <laughs> and so all, all hymns are not good hymns in, in my mind. Um, and so uh, I was able to say, well, thank you. Um, reason why we don't do that song is, uh, so I think, yeah, that the, the person that comes to you after church or before church or sends you emails and says, could we do this song? This is my favorite song. <laughs> That's not a good enough reason for doing songs in church. Yeah. Good one. I grew up uh, in the, in the, during the Hillsong craze, you know, and, and uh, so for me, one of the, the key things when I was a younger worship leader was, does the song have an epic guitar riff? That was, Ooh. if it had a great guitar riff, I, I really didn't care about what we were saying. I just want to play that, right? That's so, right. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. probably a bad reason to pick a song. <laughs> Although when I was starting to lead worship um, and, you know, my, my worship teams weren't that great, 
in terms of rhythmical stuff, it was early on. Now, who could play Hillsong? Who had the rhythm section like Hillsong? So I couldn't play those songs for the same very reasons that you wanted to play them, because the drummer and the bass player and the electric guitar player, they just, you know, we, we were going to pull that stuff off. But <laughs> I think one of the reasons, uh, or one of the, the wrong reasons is, hey, everybody's singing this song, right? If, if you have Christian radio in, in your town, and we do, uh, we have Life 100.3 here in Barrie, Ontario. It's, it's a great station, but we play all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, people hear the song on the radio. They go, well, I hear the song on the radio. It was like it was top top five this past week. We should be singing at a church. And, you know, just because a song is on the radio or just because it's the top of the CCLA chart doesn't necessarily mean that it should be on your church's song repertoire. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is, in a sense, some of those things that, Pat, you're just saying, there has to be a bit of pushback and a bit of dialogue and letting people know that, well, it's a great song. Uh, but maybe it's not best suited for our, our local church. Yeah. Well, you know, I think if we could categorize songs, we'd categorize them perhaps, and maybe this is too generic, but maybe we call them choruses and hymns. I know that's quite broad and, and, and hopefully somewhat helpful, but, you know, choruses really are quite different in the sense of hymns, hymns being more doctrinally rich, uh, more diverse in terms of their subject matter, probably longer in terms of their lyrical content, probably more focused on transcendence. Not always the case, but often the case. And choruses being maybe fresher, more popular sounding, uh, talking about the imminence of God. Uh, I heard one actually uh, author, Barry Lee, she actually described hymns as enduring constellations, not always as exciting, but they're up there in the sky and they're gonna be there tomorrow and the tomorrow after that. And choruses are like shooting stars. There's a wow and a pop factor, but you look and you go, where did they go? You know, and they're gone. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, just even thinking about the kind of songs we choose and how we evaluate and, and critique them, choruses typically don't have a very long lifespan. Hmm. And even that maybe even as a criteria, and we're going to get to that in a second, but you know, if a song is going to be here for six months and then disappears, maybe we should think about some, some of that stuff and figure out how, we choose songs based upon their longevity. But um, Rob, I know this this topic is really um, close to your heart, and I think it is to all of our hearts as, as worship planners and leaders. But um, why don't you just talk to us about the importance of having a, a grid and a filtering system uh, for, for doing this? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, what is going to govern our songs um, can sometimes bite us in the butt, because if it's just like, well, I like this song, well, then why aren't we doing karaoke? You know, then anybody can just ask any old song. And if, and if we don't have a grid, well, then what's to stop me from singing Pat's favorite song? Like, what's the validity of me going, well, no, we're not going to do your Pat song, song, Pat. Like, well, why not? Like it was well, me not liking it a good enough reason. So I think you want to have a framework and a grid so that really you can answer people and you can have a rationale as to why you are singing songs on Sunday. And so without a grid, it's like anything goes. Uh, and some of the stuff that goes these days is not, is not necessarily good. And so the grid helps us um, not only filter out some of the bad stuff, but it also helps us get perspective on what should we be focusing on Sunday morning and what should be governing what we mm -hmm. sing. And so that's important. It's not only filtering out the bad, but maybe giving us a bit more focus. Yeah. What our meetings are all about. Now, I don't know what, if you just caught yourself, but you really surprised me what you just said. You said not all songs that you hear are good. 
I mean, not everything that's on the radio or that some guy records on a CD and spends $80,000, they're not all good. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, uh, that's a statement that I don't know if I'll be able to stand behind after this podcast. <laughs> you know, you caught me live. So. Okay. Well, you know, that, that might be a surprise to people. And um, Pat, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second. I, but I was thinking as, as we select songs, and as I've been in worship ministry for 32 years now, and Pat, I think you're a little just around the same time, maybe a little further ahead of me, but uh, I am a bit younger than you, I think, maybe a couple of months. Uh, <laughs> You know, I I remember hearing, you know, you get within the days when actually people made CDs, you get a couple of CDs, two or three or four, and you listen to them, and there might be 36 songs in this thing. And I would be surprised, Rob, this is back to your comment, that I might hear one song out of 36 that I thought was what I call the, the golden nugget, hmm. right? You're, you're just panning for gold, and you're just trying to find that song that you think fits the criteria that we're going to talk about, and that fits your congregation, and, and kind of does something, you know, and grabs your heart. But um, I think as worship planners, we need this grid. We need this filtering system because not everything that comes out of the pipe, as you said, is good to drink. And it's not going to be good for our congregation. It may be good for other reasons or other purposes, but we have to be very selective and slightly, well, not slightly, very careful. So, uh, Pat, what's your experience with this whole topic? And um, what have you done in terms of your own filtering system? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think... My buddy Bob Coughlin of many, many years, a good friend, uh, used to always tell me when you used to purchase a CD, which <laughs> what is a CD nowadays, but you used to be able to actually purchase a CD and you would always encourage, you know, opening the, the cover and pulling out the jacket and looking at the lyric before you play the music. Um, I think now we, we Spotify and we iTunes and we do all that and often we don't pay a lot of attention to the lyric at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think lyric content is, is really important. Um, and often we find ourselves getting caught up with the, the, the guitar riff or the melody. And, and I think melody is important and a good melody supports, uh, it, it supports the great truths we're singing. But if we just have a good melody with no content, uh, we're still missing something. And so I think it's vitally important that we make sure that the songs we're singing are, are, are suitable to the diet that we want our church to be uh, feeding on. Um, so if I think about, you know, uh, we, we craft our liturgy where we, we start with a call to worship. We do exaltation songs or exaltation, uh, confession, assurance of pardon. Thanksgiving, um, you know, preached word, Lord's Supper, uh, response, ascending type thing. I think in terms of having a diet of songs like that, um, where I think, you know, the songs that, uh, that focus on God being exalted, um, God being adored, I think, I think that's a weak category in the church, that songs that specifically talk about God, who he is, um, and what he's done, we could, we could, we need a lot more of those songs. Um, but so, so I think some of those things, and then when I'm looking for songs, I'm thinking in those categories, uh, oh, this is a song that, that I think is, is about exalting God, or it's specifically about a characteristic or a, a specific aspect of God's nature, God's character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Um, 
I, I wonder how many of us have actually have songs on our playlist, just back to kind of what we talked about a minute ago, just because we like what the song sounded like and we were willing to compromise on the lyrical weakness mm -hmm. or fuzziness. And, you know, we are, Rob, I'm just gonna throw it over to you, but we are, we are very limited in the number of songs that we can sing in a year. And uh, we are feeding people this spiritual diet, you know, growing, growing them up, Pat, as you just said. But um, Rob, what, what's something on your heart that you look for in terms of choosing a song? Yeah, and maybe just to quickly comment on what, what Pat said, um, Mike Hosper in his book, Rhythms of Grace, talks about um, worshiping worship songs, mm -hmm. songs that um, don't put the character and the glory of God on display, but really um, talk about worship. Mm -hmm. Like, I will worship you, I will, and, and we're singing about worship. And, and that's not the same thing, that's not worship. <laughs> like worship is singing about God and what he's done. And so, and, and to tie to that, I would say that I think um, ideally the, the prominent focus of that is the gospel. So if we're, if we're gathering and we're singing songs about what God has done and, and we're really declaring, you know, declaring his salvation, I would say a key feature that I want to look for mm -hmm. is, you know, um, the song is lyrically focused on the gospel lyrically. Yeah. I'm talking about our salvation and, and the tone of our music should kind of reflect, mm. um, re reflect that. And um, so there, there are some songs today that I'll just hear that they'll, you know, they'll talk about fear and trials. They'll talk about, Oh, God has given me victory in, in the fear and trial. And, and I can worship in the fear in the trial, but it doesn't get to why, like it doesn't talk mm -hmm. about, why then maybe there's like a sentence in there about victory in god but the the prominent song like the prominent theme isn't talking about the gospel jesus has saved us he has given us his holy spirit and his holy spirit abides in us though we can endure trials and and it kind of tells us what what we can do as opposed to what god has done in us and and uh, then i think of a song like yet not i but christ through me which dives deep into that theme about you know um, God's presence in dark valleys and the shepherd leads me. Um, but it does so by glorifying the gospel, by pointing to Christ. And for me, when I'm looking at lyrically at a song, it should be ideally, you know, really what Pat's saying, talking about God. Let's talk about what God is doing, couching that ideally predominantly in the gospel. Um, I think to me is a, is a big thing. So as I'm looking for songs, I want to see that the gospel is front and center in the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we've, we've identified a couple of things here. Uh, so I'll keep a little running tally. Number one, uh, if it's lyric versus music, lyric wins, hands down. But we probably would also want to talk about the fact that you can have great lyrics with horrible music, and that's not too fun to sing either. So we may want to talk about that in a minute. So lyric wins over melody any day. Truth wins over uh, the, the covering, the polish on the presentation. And so we've just talked about theology, lyric depth. Now, if we could just take a sidestep for a second, uh, not everybody who writes songs are theologians, or they're, I guess they're maybe junior theologians, we could say. But probably the best songs we would say come from the people who are rooted the deepest in the scriptures and who are rooted in the gospel. And I think we wanna be, you know, in a sense, we wanna be having an eye to the people or the movements 
that are that resonate with us uh, in our, our theological perspectives and our theological convictions. And you just quoted from City of Light, and you know, you sometimes you find a song uh, from a group, and you go, "That's a good song," and you kind of chase the the breadcrumb trail, and you go, "Whoa, there's a whole cupboard of of great stuff here," you know. And so sometimes if you're finding uh, a writer or a church or a movement that's writing some great stuff, continue to follow that and see what else they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to be looking at people who are theologically rooted in their writing, but also as worship leaders, part of the criteria is that just we have this theological grid in our own eyes and our own minds <laughs> and hearts that we're actually knowing what to look for and uh, you know, looking for, for theology. Pat, over to you. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was, I mean, Amen to everything that uh, Rob was saying there. I think, you know, City of Light, a, a great example of a, a very God-centered song. Um, Ancient of days, though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there's still one king reigning over. Also, I will not fear for this truth remains that my God is the ancient of days. So it's basically saying, here's my reality. This could be our present, you know, COVID-19 um, but this is this outside of me, this objective reality is that my God is the ancient of days. And then the course, it just, it, you know, it's declarative. There's none above him, none before him. All of time is in his hands. For his throne, it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name, for my God is the ancient of days. Songs like that, I think. Um, you know, one man says that we get the privilege, worship leaders get the privilege of informing people's devotional lives uh, on a weekly basis. What do we want to inform our church's devotional lives with? Do we want them singing songs that are light and fluffy, that have a, a, a you know, a, a shelf life of, of a couple couple Sundays and we're tired of it, that, that doesn't have a lot of depth that when they find out you know, next week when they go to the doctor that they have stage three cancer or stage four cancer. I, I want my church singing, um, though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, his love is sure. And he knows my name for my God is the ancient of days. I want those kind of songs to inform my people uh, when they're going through suffering, when they're going through struggles, to inform their devotional life so they can say, this is the one that I worship. This is the one that I know. This is the one that I place all my trust in. Amen. I, you know, I, I think um, in the assault of life, whether, you know, you just mentioned about the diagnosis, but whether it's on our deathbed or whether it's in the mornings when the devil sort of says we're waking up, I don't know if you guys find this, but uh, sometimes you just get hammered with thoughts that are rational and kind of this wave and this, cloud of gray just comes over you in those moments i want those songs in my mind right i, I want to be declaring you know great is thy faithfulness oh god my father how great thou art mm-hmm. those they're those are the kind of things that i want to be saying that i need to be saying i need words at that moment mm-hmm. because when we're assaulted and when our emotions are beat up and and when fear is is you know just chasing us um, we need to stand strong on th- strong lyrical richness that does exalt the character of God and, mm-hmm. and reminds us, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, but just Psalm 42, speaking to our soul, put your hope in God again. This is mm-hmm. who he is. Yeah. So good, strong lyrics, good theology. 
focusing on the gospel. Uh, let's talk about uh, the focus of the song, Rob, in terms of what the song is actually saying. Comment upon that and what we need to be looking for. Yeah, I think um, one thing that Paul talks about in Corinthians is he talks about in, in, in chapter 14, verse 15, he says, I, I pray with my understanding, I sing spirit, but I'll sing with my understanding. And he talks about this, this point about clarity order is, is very important in worship because people don't get encouraged and built up by chaos. That's not how it works. And so even just thinking about that principle with music, um, are our songs clear? Are they articulating things that are easy to understand? And, and are they intentional? And I don't know, there's some songs out there, and we were talking before about some of them, that I kind of go, what's this song about? Like, it's kind of full of Christian jargon. And, and maybe there's glimpses of nuggets of truth, but it's overwhelmingly just like, I don't even know the point of the song. And um, I think we can look at a lot of top songs out there right now and kind of go, you know, some of them are just simple, um, simple uh, spiritual songs, which there's a place for in the church. But then some of them are just kind of confusing. And uh, I kind of feel like we, part of what we're doing is we're building up the body. We're trying to encourage people and songs that are clean, that are understandable, right? That have a, a big idea that is articulated well, that is communicated well. And you guys as writers know that's not easy. That's why there's very few of these songs because it's not easy to write stuff that's clear and understandable and concise and articulated well. And um, so that's something I ask often when I'm looking at a song. Okay, is this song clear? Is it cohesive? Does, is, it, is it something that clearly articulates the truths that it's trying to articulate? Or are there songs that do it better? Because sometimes there are songs that just, man, like it is well just says it better. So let's sing that. Like, why would I sing a less, you know, well, good, well, says what we want to say. So I think that is something. Does it, does it help people understand the, the truths? Is it clear and intentional? Excellent. That's very good. Very good. And, you know, Pat brought this whole point with Coughlin earlier, just reading the lyrics and actually forget the music, just sit with the lyric sheet and actually, can you, can you understand where the song is going? What's the main, the main point? What's the big idea about it? And I love actually one of the, the exercises I've done as a, as a teacher on worship is I've taken a worship song and I've told the class, go find as many biblical references as you can in this song. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's wonderful as you see these themes developing to see, Hey, that's from, you know, Titus or that's from some, uh, you know, 84 or wherever, you just be go, see, this song is just rooted in the scripture. And uh, so if that's, if there's focus, we're talking about in lyrical richness, Pat, comment on just the artistic nature of things, the beauty of poetry and lyric, you, you just did a masterful job quoting from that City of Light song. How important is, is a song to be fresh and rich and poetic and descriptive in ways that maybe a, another song isn't? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, s singing to the Lord a new song we, we see over and over again. There's something about, um, you know, a fresh lyric that seems to do something in our soul when we hear, uh, hear those words. Um, and, and as Rob has already said, it's, it's a, it's a big job to, to creatively, I think, tap into <laughs> saying things in a way that, causes the congregation to go you're kidding me is this 
is this the one we worship? Um, and so, you know, I talk a lot about um, the, the need when we gather on Sundays is to spread a banquet feast of Christ. Like how, how the, the, with every word, with intentionality, whether it's a prayer or a confession or a, uh, you know, a, a creed from way back, or if it's a, a song, I want everything that I'm doing to say to, to, to my church, my people that are coming in there that are, you know, have been taking 10 looks at themselves for every one look at Christ. Mm -hmm. they're, they're more aware of this, that the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, and I want to say, can you see Jesus? And how can I say it lyrically in a way that helps my people uh, comprehend and and see Jesus in all His beauty and glory. So that that's that should be our goal. Like, let's look for songs that you know. That there's a lot going on. I think in our day, there's this real subtle. Um, it is. I think it's Will Metzger in his book. Um, I forget the name of his book, but it's on 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 proclaiming the gospel. And he talks about a man-centered gospel versus the God-centered gospel. And the subtlety often in, in the songs that's being written and produced today is the songs talk about God, but in a subtle way, like God is not the, the end, but he's a means to my end. And I would say, like, to worship leaders listening in, be, be intentional with thinking about songs that where God is the end. <laughs> I, I sing this song, and it's, it's, He's the end. I'm looking for nothing else. I don't, you know, I'm needing nothing from him. He is, he is the end in himself. Um, and often there's, there's this subtlety where you go, oh, that's a good lyric. That's a good lyric. And then all of a sudden there's this turn to me, <laughs> like, like you're doing, this is who you are and this is what you do, but it's all for me. Um, and I, I would just, I would want to encourage people to to be thinking about that when they're looking at songs is god the end or is he a means to an end yeah in our, in our singing i think just to comment on the artistic side of things like i think of psalm 8 and what does the psalmist says he goes man when I look at the heavens when i look at the oceans when i see the beauty of creation what mm. it does is it just draw my attention to god who are you and who am i like that's what good music does. It, should, it shouldn't draw attention. It, it should make us have a beautiful art and beautiful ways of writing and poetic that draw our attention to just God's glory and his beauty because he's the one who created the heavens, who created the earth. And so when we, in our frail attempt, use our own poetry to try to articulate these wonderful truths of God, right. the, the, the reason that we should try to seek after that is because that, that, that echoes this kind of glorious artistic nature of God. And, um, and it should draw us to magnify him. Uh, these images and this beauty, like looking at mountains, should draw us mm -hmm. to just be in awe of him. And like Pat said, are you kidding? This God, you know. Yeah, I think of um, this line from the hymn, The Love of God. You know, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? I think some of you will know, know that verse. There are, you know, there are a few songs that express just the beauty of poetry in terms of the vastness of the love of God than that particular lyric. Mm. And yet, if you actually 
go to some Isaac Watts songs written in the 1600s. Isaac Watts uses very simple language to convey very profound truths written even for kids and, you know, for children as catechism. And uh, so it doesn't necessarily even have to be beautifully poetic as the love of God. It can be very simple and rich. And the beauty is that when God's spirit comes upon a person who is saturated in the word and loves Jesus and uses that person's personality and gifting to write songs for the church, what a blessing it is. And the challenge is in our day, not that we don't have enough songs, the challenge is that we have too many songs mm. that, you know, that the big pipe is just overflowing and there's songs washing over us all the time. And we just have to stop and go, which one of these millions of songs are we going to hold on to for our church? Right. And, you know, this is a whole other discussion, but our song repertoires, you know, in the day, it was not uncommon. I don't know, Rob, uh, if you remember these days, Pat, probably you and I do, they, there'd be like 400 songs, right? There'd be 400 songs on your song list. The reality is you probably sang a hundred, hundred of them or something. And the point is though, that we have a very limited scope of songs that we can actually sing. And we want to be very careful and very picky and very choosy. And now in our day, we do have the ability to do that just because, you know, there are so many, and then we do want to, we do want to pick the gold and we want to wait for those songs that are going to resonate and stay and go deep and, and lift up Christ. Mm. So it's a, it's a beautiful privilege to be a songwriter. It's a beautiful privilege to be a song planner and it's a beautiful privilege to uh, put this feast of Christ, as you said, Pat, in front of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you guys in a second. We're kind of running out of time here a little bit. Um, I am going to ask you, I'm going to give you a, kind of a bit of a heads up. I'm going to ask you to recommend one song in a minute. That you're going to go, hey, this is a song that I love that, you know, for someone listening who needs to boost their song repertoire up, I've got mine in my brain. Um, we haven't gotten to everything we wanted to talk about. So give us one more one more criteria, one more thought, and then give me your song, and then we're going to wrap this. I'm going to start with you, Rob. Sure. Um, so quickly, I think um, diversity. You know, the Bible and spiritual songs. I think in the reform movement, sometimes there's a sentiment that we should be only singing hymns, um, and um, the less enjoyable they are, the better. I think that, uh, you know, we... Sometimes we even look down on certain types of music like hymns and we go, oh, hymns are all outdated and blah, blah, blah. And, and I think we've got to remember the scriptures, you know, Ephesians 5 tells us to sing a variety of music. You look at the Psalms, there's a variety of themes. There's lament, you know, if we're talking about even liturgy, songs of adoration, songs of confession, songs of um, assurance of faith. And so I think it's important that we do have some kind of, um, you know, some stylistic, not stylistic, but even thematic differences in our, in our, in our styles of songs. And are we going to sing some Psalms? Are we going to sing some hymns? Are we going to sing some, maybe some more what people would call lighter. I remember singing some songs and people would look at me and go, Oh man, I don't like singing that song. It's, it's fluffy. And I just, then I opened the Psalm and I read it to them from the Psalm that they're literally quoting (laughs) at fluffy to you. So sometimes it's like we, ideas too of what's fluffy and so i think some of these things we've talked about help us doing that um a song one song man like i was my brain just froze when you said that but i know for me um one of my favorite and i'm i city light is on my mind now so but one of my favorite songs that i don't hear people talking about from them is all my ways are known to you like i must do that song 12 15 20 times a year 
All My Ways Are Known to You. It is such an incredible song about God's sovereignty. Up mm. And uh, I love that song. And it's got a great guitar riff. Mm. All right. Well, if it's got the guitar riff, it must be good. <laughs> okay, Pat. Thanks, Rob. Uh, final word and final song recommendation. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, when we're singing congregationally and we're putting song in front of people, uh, you know, we, we can get all caught up in making sure that the lyrics are correct and that we're theologically correct. But, but in the end, there, there has to be an engagement of, of our heart as well. This is, you know, the gospel is about a person. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. And often we throw around terms gospel-centered and, I'm, you know, we're a gospel-centered church. And, um, and often it can, be, it can be phrases. It can be, you know, the fact that we've been justified, that we're made righteous in God's sight and all these things. But in the end, none of this would happen without Jesus. And um, I think when, 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 when we sing songs, when we gather corporately, we gather to sing about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done for us. And, and we sing about the greatness and the bigness of God. And it does something in our hearts. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't, say, yes, we want theological songs, but we want the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to impact our hearts and make us love him more and be a church that walks in a manner worthy of him. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. Um, and having said that, I would say that my all-time favorite song is How Deep the Father's Love. Um, I, you know, I, I get a little bit busted up every time that when we sing Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And I don't know, that, that line, I know that it is finished. Um, that's why I continue to do what I do and uh, want to love Jesus more daily because he first loved me. And we need more songs that speak of the bigness of the Father's love for us. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Well, um, one of the songs I, uh, I'm loving these days is a new song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. And that part of that was written from the Heidelberg Catechism question, or at least reference to it. And it just says, uh, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What's our only confidence that our souls to him belong? Boy, that's, that'll preach that line. Mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of like another song that a lot of people are singing, He Will Hold Me Fast. Yeah. And so uh, I would recommend that song written by uh, the Gettys and Matt Papa, and I, I think uh, a few other writers as well. But, uh, you know, when you find a song that is uh, Jesus-centered and biblically rooted and lyrically fresh and musically creative and interesting and singable, you know, you kind of put all the categories together. When you find a song like that and they're out there, uh, hold on to it and teach your people and allow them to to own that song. And I think one of the reasons why people love Great Is Thy Faithfulness written in 1923, it's because people lived the song and they walked through life and the depression with these songs. And as we repeat these songs in our church's vocabulary and repertoire, it will sink down into their souls and they will learn them and own them. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about songs in coming episodes because there's a lot more to say about that. But Rob and Pat, thank you so much. Um, thanks so much for your great comments, your heart for the church, your love to 
give people that which feeds them and grows them in Christ and exalts Jesus. Thanks to uh, TGC Canada for hosting this. And folks, thanks for, for watching. We'll be back in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll uh, encourage you then. And you encourage us as well for watching. So thanks so much. God bless you. See you next time.